to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? How can we iterate on this better? Very excited to introduce our guest today. Before we do that, I want to make sure you, oh listeners, know who the other voices are on this podcast. So besides me, Richard Littower. Hello, everyone. We also have Ben Nichols. Ben, how are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. Ben is standing in again. He is not one of our regular panels, although he is increasingly becoming so. He's joining us from Shropshire in his lovely converted house where he works for Open Source Collective. He's been a longtime sustainer and has listened to every podcast, which is ridiculous. And now on to our guest. Matt Mankins is joining us today from his new home in Barcelona. Matt is a fellow at Mozilla, but he's done a whole ton of other stuff. So he's currently working on advancing open monetization strategies for the web, which we're definitely going to talk about later. Before being in Mozilla, he was at the publisher Condé Nast, where he led global monetization engineering efforts for the company's iconic brands. You may have heard of them before. He was previously the CTO of Fasco Magazine, which is amazing. The owner of the Lorem Ipsum Bookstore, which was a real bookstore in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And he's a founder of numerous companies, including smtp.com, spell that if you can, Vert, and Fairtrade, all of which have gone on to do various things. Matt, that was a long bio, and I'm actually really excited to talk to you today. But before we get to that, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So in that long bio, was there anything which I missed? Anything which seems really cool that you want to talk about before we get into kudos? I've spent my life doing a bunch of things that I find interesting. And I've been lucky enough to be able to pay the rent along the way. And so there were a lot of other projects in between that I got really into. But yeah, those are basically the highlights. This is the question I'm most curious to ask. I'm just going to ask it first. It's not related to sustaining open source. But are you still paying the rent for Lorem Ipsum Bookstore in MIT? No. So Lorem Ipsum was a project I did after graduating from MIT. And I had a bunch of books in my house. And then I moved to Cambridge. And then I moved them to my office at MIT. And then when I graduated, I had no place to put the books. And so I started selling them online. And around that same time, time period, there were a bunch of physical brick and mortar bookstores in my neighborhood in Inman Square, Cambridge, that were going out of business. And so I was like, why are they doing this? This was like 2003. Bookstores are awesome. Maybe what they needed to do was embrace the internet rather than run from it. And so I wrote a program to list my books online to sort of weed down my personal book supply to be able to fit in my apartment. And I was like, you know what, maybe there's a business here. Maybe the thing that bookstores need to do is embrace the internet and have a, what we call a bricks and clicks store today. So you have a physical presence, but then all the inventory is listed online. And so to answer your question, no, Laura Mipsum books closed maybe a few years back now, like hmm, 2015 maybe, but was a bookstore from 2003 until then. So it had a really good run. That is awesome. I personally love that. I have way too many books and I've thought about doing that too. And I used to live in Porter Square, which is around two minutes from Inman Square. So thank you for telling the story of that. So you've always had this sort of bent of, oh, here's a problem. Maybe I can fix it. Maybe here's a way we can embrace the internet to fix it. With that framework in mind, what are you currently doing at Mozilla? Yeah, so I've been lucky enough to be a fellow at Mozilla since January. 
And they basically said, think about alternative ways to fund the web. And that was basically the direction that I had. And so it's a, a time period where the web is, is changing rapidly. We even have an idea of like Web3 as in there's like a new horizon and a monumental change coming. But I think that there's a lot of incremental changes going on that can make a big impact into the lives of, of people that use the internet. So it's changes in cookies, it's proliferation of paywalls, it's uh, data sharing, the drill. But one of the more exciting technologies is something called Interledger. I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's a way of moving money from place to place. And it really, when I first heard about it, it just clicked for me because they had borrowed some of the models from TCPIP the, the levels of TCPIP to sort of model how Interledger would work. And so it, it's a very geeky thing. But at the end of the day, I convinced myself that, yeah, this is something that could actually be real. And so using that as a, a point of departure, I kind of began looking at what could be done. And the culmination of that effort is, is the current thing that I wanted to go through here, which is kudos. First, that sounds like a really cool mandate from Mozilla. Just think about how the web could be better and how we could pay for it better and the like. I really love that. I love that there are people working on this. Interledger is interesting. I get it confused with Hyperledger. There's a lot of different ledgers out there. This is not cryptocurrency based. Is it cryptocurrency based? Because Hyperledger is. Is Interledger? Sort of. I mean, Interledger is about paying from point A to point B via possible intermediaries of different cryptocurrencies. So I don't think... It necessarily has to be a particular cryptocurrency, but there has to be a, an exchange method at each of those hops. How do you go from Bitcoin to Ethereum when the people involved don't necessarily have all of those currencies? And so it's kind of like a three-phase commit going through the whole transaction so the transaction will either go through completely or it'll fail. Excellent. Okay, that makes more sense. We've had Kevin Owaki from Gitcoin on this podcast several times. We have had some people who are very bullish on cryptocurrencies. And we definitely have some listeners I've talked to who can't stand the very idea of cryptocurrencies and think they're all totally crap and are going to burn out immediately. I think when thinking about them here, it's interesting to think about them just as a means of actually getting money in small ways to other people. Yes, it may be a fad and the, like it may fluctuate wildly, but that's still a use case which we haven't seen implemented at scale on the web yet. So... I think when we talk about cryptocurrencies, it's something to keep in mind that this may just be an interesting test of what's going on in the future. That having been said, and I feel like I have to say that every time just to make people settle down, it's going to be okay. Can you describe to me what Kudos is? This is the main thing you're working on now. How does it work? Kudos is something that came out of thinking about payments. And so if you think about payments, you can sort of imagine this gradient of payments where you have ownership on one side and we, we call attribution on the other. So ownership is something like, I can own a bike, I can own a house, or in the digital realm, I can own an NFT. These are things that you spend a lot of real money on owning. And likely you're the only owner of these things. On the other hand, you have attribution, which is a payment by referencing the person. So I think was said by Descartes. And so I mentioned him and he doesn't get any of my money, but I'm paying him a social due by saying that he's there. And so we do things like Twitter mentions or social mentions that are sort of in the attribution model. Uh, we also do footnotes, references, things like this. But the main idea with this end of the payment spectrum is that there's likely no money involved 
in that transaction. Sort of in the middle of all of this is entitlements. And entitlements is things like buying a movie ticket or a subscription to your favorite website or a wristband to get into a concert. And this is a little bit of money that you pay at one period of time or regularly to support something. So this is kind of the landscape that we're talking about here. And then kudos fits in the middle of entitlements versus attribution. So a kudo is maybe money. It's not a little bit of money and likely no money. It's maybe money. I don't know if you're following me so far. So it, this is an entitlement that you may be able to exchange in the future for something of real, genuine kind of, is that the idea or is that that, that may yeah. convert in the future? Basically, what we're doing here is generalizing about payments and how we think about payments. And of those things, there's ownership, things that you own. There's attribution, things that you're giving social call out to. And then there's entitlements, which are what you're describing, this like exchange of money for a token of some kind that you can then translate into some sort of ephemeral good usually or experience. And then kudos then fits in the middle of this gradient to say that it's actually not the money that's changing hands that's important. So a kudo is a reward for work already done with no promise of payment or price. And that's kind of an interesting thing, which is kind of like clicking on a like button on a web page, except for not connected to a social media graph. It's just like, oh, you know what? That person or that company or that entity did something that I like. And there's no money involved at this point in the process. And so where kudos become useful is in rewarding production where the value isn't clear ahead of time. So that's things like open source software, where it's maybe just too risky to pay a developer to develop some new Linux driver. But there's also things like web content, where I don't know if your web page is any good before I view it. And so the people that are actually getting rewarded these days are people whose brands consumers are familiar with, or there's things like metered paywalls that allow people to come in a little bit at a time and understand the value of what they're getting at. And so a kudo by itself isn't anything other than a record, a ledger that some particular ID did something good for me. And so it sort of maybe doesn't make sense at this point, but where it does make sense is maybe the next level. And so let's go through an example of how you might use kudos in the open source world, because I think it'll maybe come together at this point. So to reward open source, you could imagine putting a new process into your build system that looks for all of the contributors of a particular open source project. There's lots of different ways we could do this. The particulars of, of how it's done isn't really all that important. What's important is that there's a generation of a kudo for each ID. In my mind, this is not just supporting Babel or Henry, but you're supporting all of the contributors that could number in the thousands or tens of thousands. And it's equal, you know, there's some ins and outs of the implementation that you need to make it fair. But the overall idea is that you're generating a bunch of these kudos and you're putting them into a, essentially a ledger. And so that's the generation of kudos. The second piece, which maybe we'll tie this all together 
is that you could imagine an enterprise setting up a policy to spend n dollars a month on open source. And so at this point, what could happen here is that there would be a process by which the enterprise could settle their kudos. And so they would settle this kudo by saying, give me all of the kudos that are of type open source, and then take this $10,000 and split it amongst all of those people. So that's the act of actually settling kudos. Okay, I understand the bit better now. Thank you. So I have a lot of questions and I'm really excited. Mm -hmm. about them. One of them is, are you waiting kudos at all? Because I think Henry should get more kudos than say someone who changed the copyright year on the license. Yeah, totally. So this, the stage that Kudos is in right now is in sort of the idea, the philosophy stage. I think the implementation is really up to the various people that implement this. So this is not building a platform. It's about building a sort of economic system by which we do these things. And so I would imagine that there will be fair implementations of this that will make sense. I think that one of the important things about Kudos is it's just as easy to create as a JWT or a cookie. And because it's so easy to create, the desire is to create a bunch of them and to put them into a ledger somewhere. And then the process then becomes settling the kudos. So a kudo is an ID, which is a universal ID, like ID GitHub Mankins might be my GitHub ID. And somebody, say you, is going to create a kudo, which is like a JWT token, that is a creation of, hey, you know what, Mankins did something good at this point in time, and then store it within your ledger of stuff. At some point in the future, you can then fund all of your kudos. So you can say, give me all of my kudos that I haven't funded, and now you have a big list, and then take this amount of money, $1,000, $10, it doesn't matter, and then split it amongst all of these people in some sort of fair way. From the output of that, you end up getting a receipt. And so that receipt is actually important because you can then take that receipt and it's kind of like your reputation and you can add that to your public ID as part of your reputation. With that reputation, we can then build systems that give access. So I can maybe, if I'm an open source maintainer, I can look at the GitHub issues and if a particular person has been supporting me for a while, maybe I want to prioritize that work ahead of someone in the general community. You're basing your current decisions on access based on prior reputation. And that becomes pretty interesting. So kudos are about the creation and not the creator, which is kind of an interesting difference. I think that's the main difference I've heard so far between this and Flatter, which was mm -hmm. another previous attempt where I could Flatter a website and it would give a little tip and those would be divided up across all of my flatters over time. And I would decide $10 a month or something will go to my flatterers. Is that correct in the difference? Yeah. Uh, so flatter started around the time that I started thinking about this problem. I'm going to drop a link here of In a Moon, which was, I don't know what day it says, 2009 maybe, where I basically had the idea of, oh, we can pay for content by looking at all of the content you consume over the course of a month. And then you take some sort of fixed monthly payment and split it amongst um, all of those people. So that's kind of the basic idea that's been with me for over a decade now. But some of the problems that we see in practice with these is that, for example, Flatter, the New York Times doesn't necessarily want Flatter taking money on behalf of the New York Times. 
And when I've spoken with other even open source contributors, some of them have said the exact same things that the content group has said to me. And so with Kudos, there's a, a small distinction in the uh, desired implementation that really matters in that the creation of the Kudo is not related to the sending of money. So when Kudos get settled, you basically say, get me all of my Kudos of a particular group. That act then looks up on an ID by ID basis what the payment pointer or wallet address is of a particular Kudo. And this is something that the individual creator has had to opt in to the system. So the New York Times or Mencken's would have to opt in and say, you know what, if somebody is wanting to give me money, I'm totally okay with taking it. And so that's kind of the way that we've evolved some of the problems that Flatter and others from that generation have had. So one of the like overarching questions I have with tips of, of this type is that it's still donation-based. And humans are really good at collecting debt and we're really good at paying for something immediately, but we're pretty bad at deciding collectively as a society to pay for things looking forward. But one of the questions I have is, for instance, maybe a better way of phrasing this, how do you sell this to companies? How do you get them involved with actually wanting to invest in kudos? I would first say that one of my aims is, is not to sell to companies. One of my actual goals right now is just to start having a conversation about how our capitalist society needs to change to fit into the realities of our digital world. So every single copy that we make of a particular good doesn't have the same cost as it did when we were building printing presses and you know the old economics. And so I think fundamentally, some model needs to come around that helps us reason about this. And so one of the things I like about Kudos is that it just, it's a disconnection between the sort of like of the feedback loop of like, oh, you know what, we use this thing. We like this thing where we as a company or we as an individual and the spending of money for promoting that. So like in traditional economics, this is done by taxes, right? So you pay taxes and then the government rewards certain people that are doing good things for society. I think that we're in a place where we can build systems fairly simply that take inputs from users saying, I like this thing, and then their money and splitting out their money to those people. And so you're right that it's sort of like a tipping system because no one's requiring them to do it. But if you tie it into the reputation of the ID, which is sort of what I've tried to do here, is that you can then look at someone's ID and use that as a way to have a universal paywall across all sites, for example. Like, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to pay for every single site and that we could support more content wherever it is? And so the question is, like, how much money would I want to pay for this for a month. And I think that what probably emerges as a next step is a company that makes it easy to, to do this because while technically you can run your own email server, it turns out that it's easier to just let somebody else do that for you. I think I would want it to be the kind of thing that you could create your own kudos and settle your own kudos. And that's great. But I would also think that there's probably even more friction-free ways of doing that that you could maybe even pay for with kudos. I don't know. 
What do you think is the hardest problem that you're facing right now as you develop kudos? I mean, how many people are on your team? What are you talking about when you're building this? Well, it's just me. So the hardest problem is maybe that. There's people that I talk to regularly that I would say that the next step is actually building a prototype. And so I'll get some more developers involved in that. But the hardest part is that it's a really hard problem space. It's a human behavior problem and not necessarily a technology problem. And so, like I said, I've been sort of thinking about this since 2009. And I know that the idea has come and gone in various incarnations, but I I really think that I'm at a place where there should be a way to see if it resonates with a wider audience. And so my current work is to come on shows like this to see how I can sort of spread the word to see what people think about it. It sounds really interesting to me in the context of open source projects because it kind of allows you to build a foundation and abstract away from the problem of what someone's time or contribution is worth. It kind of feels like it might provide a way for communities to be able to demonstrate, like, regardless of how much real money they have coming in on the top, how they feel about, think about, and frankly value different types of contribution into a project. And over time, kind of establish a pattern that would be able to demonstrate to potential kind of supporters, funders, however you want to kind of talk to those people, how they are going through the process before the fact of actually getting into distributing money. Is that something that you've thought about? And is it something that you've, are you looking for particular communities that might be interested in experimenting with that in any way? Yeah, I would love anyone who's interested in the idea to work with them to make it real, because it's it's one thing to talk about the philosophy and certainly another thing to use and to see what the problems of it are. So yeah, I'm definitely open to, to any and all people that like to help along that journey. And something that you said reminded me that one of the dreams is kind of that as a creator, I can just go do my creation and money will kind of show up in my bank account as I do good work to society because there's a feedback loop that as long as people are paying into the top of it, you know, will we'll end up supporting me. And I don't think that we're really there yet, but it's sort of a tantalizing thing to think about that maybe some of the intermediaries that we have today in the future might not be needed. Yeah, I think that's the interesting space for me is, don't get me wrong, I worry about this a hell of a lot, but being able to set aside the kind of money at the top kind of funnel kind of system and abstract away from it and just focus on like, how do we think about value in this community and get that down so that, yeah, we're able to kind of demonstrate to people that may come in later on and be like, hey, we want to understand what kind of impact this $10,000, $100,000 kind of drop would have and be able to just say immediately, we're like, well, there you go. That's actually what would happen as an end result of it. How do you feel about that? And people just be like, that's great. Like it makes that whole decision easier. So for me, it's like, it's a big win to be able to solve a part of a bigger problem and then kind of move that and use that as a demonstrator to kind of solve like, the final kind of thing at the end. So, I also like to think about larger problems and how do we abstract away. I guess, Matt, one of my main questions for you is actually a question we normally have at the end of the podcast, which is where are you holding these discussions? You said you've come in on this podcast. It's great. Hello, everyone, and welcome. But where 
are you currently thinking about these things and how are you developing? Are there people who are fellows at Mozilla who are really curious in this? Are you talking to developers who'd be interested in helping build the prototype? I've been working with the Mozilla community to help me with that problem. I think as it becomes more tangible, it's a little bit easier to have artifacts that we can sort of point to. So I'm, I'm working now to develop a series of written pieces that sort of lay out the overall idea and maybe what the next steps are so that I can have a little bit more concrete asks along the way. The phase that I'm at is basically to have a presentation that I've been giving to people and, and see how it resonates with them. And so far, it, it seems like I'm on point. So that's good. So I think that I'm about to transition into the build it phase and the promote it a little bit more phase, I would say. My fellowship is unfortunately over at the end of December. So I have to think about how to transition this work or who to pass the baton to, or I don't want to let it uh, drop. But I do think that it's kind of the culmination of being able to think about the problem for a few months. And so, yeah, just kind of excited about that. Ben, when you said something, I don't remember what it is anymore. I was thinking about Facebook and we all love to hate Facebook, but they did some interesting things that we can learn from. And I think one of them is the like button. They use the like button as a way to feed an algorithm about particular interests and solve a really hard problem, to be honest. But what I'm hoping to do in, in the implementation phase is use something like a like button that generates kudos. And ideally, that would happen without the like button. So it, it's basically something that you could press a button for and it would generate it. But for it to work better, it would be built into the browser or it would be some sort of automated system that's kind of looking at all the places that it should be attributing to uh, kudos to. At one point, I called this the um, attribution economy. So it's like an economy based on all of these attributions. The parallel there for me is kind of the citation economy that you see in academic kind of institutions and so on. And there's a, yeah, there's a lot of analysis of, of that and some of the harms that, that that kind of principle has as well. So, And I think what's most interesting is tying that in with some of the work that's been going on by people who are part of the sustained community. We've had them on the podcast too, looking at dependency trees and trying to figure out how do you fund all the way down the dependency tree so it's not just people at the top. You mentioned all contributors before. I think it was accidental, it was just a syntax thing, but all contributors is one way you could get everyone who's contributed to a project. I know you kind of skirted me saying this, but it'd be really interesting to look at how you have Ospos, open source program offices and large industrial complex businesses using this tool to basically fund work. And then how do you make sure that they get praised for it? It's not just the person who's in charge of the open source office. I'm thinking of Dwayne O'Brien's The World, but also people who hire Dwayne O'Brien so that they feel good, so that Google feels good, so that they invest more and more money. I mean, one of the things that's really useful with Gratapay slash Get Tip. We had Chad Whiteacre on. His podcast came out October 21st. Do check that out. Super cool. Is that they instituted a ranking thing where the number one company that donated money got its name first. That's why Justin Dorfman started donating a lot of money. And I know Open Collective does something similar with its open source projects. So there's a ton of different ways there where you can get more money into it. I know you're trying to abstract away from that being a thing, but that's for the end users, not necessarily no, not, for not the necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I would say, uh, and I spoke with Dwayne and, and he was, I should give a kudo to him. He was influential in me actually tying together the content world and the open source world because he had some concerns. But I think that I can imagine a company or a product that facilitates the creation of kudos in a build system and the payment of kudos. But 
the piece that's sort of missing is generating a badge. So it's, you have uh, scouts badges that you pass various things. So you can imagine an organization that would look at someone's reputation and then say, yes, this is a, a gold star contributor to open source or something like that, that is, is a made up thing, but is something that can be used for marketing for big companies. You can certainly imagine other people taking this data and in building some marketing things around it. And you could also imagine big companies even being able to earn money for themselves from it. So like some interesting questions that I certainly don't have answers to is if I'm being paid by Google to a regular salary and I contribute to open source, should I get paid like extra income for that? Or does Google get that money? I certainly don't have an answer for that. I think at the end of the day, IDs become different and maybe you just have different IDs for different things. Another thing that someone has said is like Linus, we all would be contributing to him, but maybe at the end of the day, he decides he doesn't need the money and actually wants to give it to the Free Software Foundation or some other charity of his choice instead of himself. And so I think in the way that you set up the, the payment pointer or the wallet address, you could facilitate that kind of transaction, which which is interesting. I think there are a lot of questions there. For me, I'm just going to very pretentiously say it. I was reminded of a quote from sometime when Humboldt was alive, which was a long time ago. And he said, it's possible that the gardener in an orchard is in a truer sense its owner than the listless voluptuary who enjoys its fruit. And I like the idea of the people who are working are more the owners than, say, Google or anyone at Google. And so, yes, you can help big companies make money, but I think I love moving away from, from helping big tech exist and more towards sustaining communities of practice and communities of people who are doing valuable work and do it in a way that has different incentives than, say, our capitalist structure, which is pretty brutal at the moment. But I'm aware I'm about to err on the side of, if I've not already totally crossed it, philosophizing over much. And so I think I'm going to end it there. Matt, this is super, super interesting. And I really hope it goes well. I'm excited to read the pieces that are going to come out. Please share them. If we haven't published this yet, we'll put them in the show notes. If not, you can always find information about this sort of work on the sustaindiscourse.sustainoss.org. We may or may not be able to strong arm Matt into joining us there. But if you want to reach out there and say what happened with that work, I'd be happy to drop a link. On top of that, Matt, is there places on the web? Are there places where we can find you and your work? Yes, I'm on Twitter at Mankins, M-A-N-K-I-N-S. and my blog is matt.menkins.net. Thank you, Matt. And now is the time of the show where we go on to something completely different. This is Spotlight. Spotlight is where we talk about projects, people, things, objects, and zebras, which just need a bit of light shed on them. Ben Nichols, what is your Spotlight today? So I think the last time I was on this, I spotlit Stellarium. I bought a telescope when I moved to a dark sky area and things are escalating quickly. So my next open source dark sky astro recommendation is going to be open PhD guiding. If you buy a guide scope and you want to stay on a star that you're tracking so you can take photos of it, that is an open source piece of software that will help you do that. Works incredibly well. I am just looking at how I can actually support them with a little bit of money but it's not obvious, so I will try and drop a link in the notes if I can find it. Thank you very much. My spotlight today is to the Scottish rail system. 
Scotland is a part of Britain, and Britain in general has really horrible services if you ask anyone from Britain. However, if you are from the US, they are wonderful. Yesterday morning, I was able to wake up at 4 a.m., get a train. Two and a half hours later, I was at the base of a mountain and I was already hiking. That is exceptionally awesome. Where I live in Montpelier, Vermont, I had to ask a friend to drive me to the airport 45 minutes away because there's just no way for me to get there within like three hours by multiple buses. So the British rail system, and in particular the Scottish rail system, which is slightly different, are just wonderful things. And I'm really grateful when infrastructure works very well. Matt, what is your spotlight today? I'd like to spotlight uh, Lib Food, which is a GitHub project by Noah Levinson, part of his free food project. He works at Consumer Reports and he also owns a pizza shop. So he's been thinking a lot about how to create platformless systems for society. And his Lib Food to me is just a, a beautiful project that I tell everyone I can about. He's implemented a blockchain from scratch and uses no external libraries. And so he claims this is, is not a lift, but just how he was able to do it easily. And it's really apparent because you can read the code and learn so much. So like I, I read the entire code base uh, from start to finish, just kind of for fun, but learn so much about it. So I think if you want to see how the future could be building protocols instead of platforms, and also support a really cool idea of kind of food delivery without a company, check it out because it's, it's awesome. I like that a lot. Hopefully in the future, we'll be able to give kudos to each of these projects. I don't know how you would get it to Scott Rail, but we can try. Very exciting, Matt. Thank you so much for being on. I look forward to seeing how this work progresses. I look forward to looking at Noah Levinson's website and thinking about pizza. And I look forward to hearing from you again. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Bye.